Well, turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 17. We're going to look at Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob this morning. And as we do, our sermon this morning is the promises of God give pain a purpose. The promises of God give pain a purpose. Today, my hope is that each one of us would leave here encouraged, that in the middle of some of the painful things that you might be going through right now, or maybe you just went through, or maybe something painful that you're going to go through, my hope is that you would be encouraged. Encouraged knowing that God is speaking into your life. He's accessible in the painful places. He's always available to pray, to speak to you, to connect with. And remembering what God has said in our lives can actually carry us through painful seasons. Remembering what God has said in our lives can carry us through seasons when we might not hear him clearly. We might not sense his presence clearly. We might have forgotten what he has said. We might be enduring a illness or sickness. We might just feel cold and distant from God. What I like to do in my own life is I, I like to remember what God has said to me. Um, so I, in my Bible, I actually carry around prophetic words that God has spoken over my life. And I have some of them here today. I like this one. This is from December 6, 2014, from my daughter. Daddy, you're just like Jesus. You fixed the kitchen door. <laughs> you healed the kitchen door, she wrote. I like that one. Uh, this one was spoken many years ago um, by my mom. From Isaiah 30, 21. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, Joel, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way to go. Or this one uh, from Jeremiah 1, 7. Do not say I am only a youth, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Joel, bless your compassion. Somebody said that in 2009. Joel, you'll be like a lion and a lamb. Hmm. You see, when I read them, there's something different happening. When I read them, I'm transported back to those moments. When I read the promises of God over my life, I, I remember the painful season, the discouraging season, maybe a season of questioning, a season of emptiness. Maybe it was a good season, a joyful season. But as I go back and I read the promises of God, I remember that moment. And remembering what God has said over my life helps me to get through the painful times. This one is kind of funny. This one is from my mom, again from Psalm 32. Do not be like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with a bit and bridle 
or it will not stay near you. That's so funny to me because that was so many years ago that I had no idea one day that we'd own a property with horses on it. (laughs) And I will tell you, getting dragged around a riding arena by a pony named Marshmallow, (laughs) trying to hang on to this rope, I can understand what it means to need a bit and a bridle to be controlled versus God's voice speaking over you and his eye upon you. You see, when I read these promises over my life, and some of you might have even some of those same verses over your life, but when you read the promises of God over your life, it helps you to get through seasons when you maybe aren't hearing him, aren't sensing him. Henry Nouwen says this in his book, A Cry for Mercy. He says, the mystery of the spiritual life is that many of the events, people, situations that for a long time seem to inhibit our way to God become ways of being united more deeply with him. What seems like a hindrance becomes a gift. I think about painful seasons that I've gone through or discouraging seasons that I've gone through. The the loss of a loved one maybe in your own life or, or sickness that you're contending for in prayer. Financial difficulty. Looking for a new job, looking for a new home, looking for a spouse or waiting for that first child to be born through seasons of barrenness. These seasons that are painful and even dark, can actually become an invitation, can become a gift to know God deeper. Because we're never too far from his presence. We're never too far from his love. We're never too far from him. Our main point this morning is God's promises help us endure seasons of barrenness, famine, and fear. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 17, verse 15 and following. This Bible's a little bit worn. I mean, this is Genesis. You know, this is Exodus. But I had to bring the OG with me today. That's original gangster for those that maybe don't know what OG means. All those under 40 are like, hee hee, I feel seen. Those over 40 are like, uh, what happened just now? He said gangster in a sermon. I love you all. I really do. Verse 15, God also said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai, You are to name her Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. 
You have to remember Ishmael was born under, uh, to Hagar. Hagar was the servant of Sarah. And because Sarah was unable to have children, Hagar did, and she had a son named Ishmael. And when she had a son named Ishmael, she would mock Sarah. You, one could even say she would laugh at Sarah. Then God said, yes, but your wife, Sarah, will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of 12 rulers, and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. When he had finished speaking with Abraham, God went up from him. On that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael and all those born in his household or bought with his money, every male in his household, and circumcised them, as God told him. You see, God promises blessing amidst the barrenness of Sarah. She's gone almost 90 years. Abraham's almost 100 years old, knowing that God had promised Abraham nations, generations. God had previously called Abraham a father of many nations. And God had promised Abraham that he would have many children, and Sarah would have many children. And here they are. She's barren, empty, unable to have kids at 90 years old. And God says, and you will name this son Isaac. And Isaac is translated, he who laughs. You'll have a son and you'll name him Isaac and you will give birth to laughter. And God says, my covenant, my promise, my contract, my agreement, which will be everlasting, will be with Isaac. And generations and generations and generations will be born through Isaac. God partners in covenant with his word. God speaks about the covenant that he makes with his word in Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5. He says to Jeremiah, I will watch over my word, Jeremiah, to perform it. What does God mean by that? God means that when he speaks, when God speaks something, it is a promise. And it is a promise that cannot be broken. It is a covenant. It is an agreement. And God watches over the words he speaks to ensure that they are performed. When God speaks his word, it comes with the ability and the power within it to be accomplished. In other words, when God said, let there be light, what happened? Light was created. So when God says over Sarah, I will put a son in you, God watches over his word to perform it. 
Some of us think that we're watching over that word to perform it. Some of us think that we bring our power to the equation. Some of us think that if we just manipulate things in the right way, we'll manifest our own future. That's not how it works. When God speaks over our life and he speaks into impossible situations and he speaks into painful situations that we're going through, when he speaks, he promises. He's unable to break that promise because he's a covenant-keeping God. What has he said over your life? Remembering what he has said over your life will help you get through seasons when you don't hear him speaking or you don't sense his presence. Go back and rehearse and review what he has said. And God establishes this covenant with circumcision. I can't even imagine all of these men and all of these boys on the same day being circumcised. Ouch. They would be screaming. So you see, the covenant is established through pain, which will follow by blessing. If you don't remember anything else from this message, I want you to remember this statement. Nothing can disrupt, discourage, or derail the promise of God over your life. Nothing, no thing. Genesis 21, verse one to seven. We continue reading about Sarah. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. At the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has brought me laughter. And everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. In other words, God turned around a woman that was laughed at to be a woman that would be laughed with. And every time she would say the name Isaac, she would be saying laughter. This is what God does. God brought her and Abraham the birth of impossible joy. Maybe you're in a season of emptiness, barrenness, longing, dry, crying out to God. I, I pray today over you that you would receive 
a birth of impossible joy. The Lord says, I will watch over my word in you to perform it. And you may even laugh in the end. I remember back some, just again, seasons of difficulty in my own life. And I remember now looking back on those seasons and one of them is, is you know, buying our, our, the farm that we're at now and just what a stress that was and what anxious it was and how difficult this decision was to, to buy this farm before we had even sold our house um, here in Coquitlam and just the uncertainty around, wait, we're gonna buy this acreage and then we're going to try to sell our home after that? Like, really, God? And just anxious, right? Can anybody relate to that? Like just That would be anxious, right? So I remember just being fearful, being anxious, being worried, and, and God spoke something to me in that season, and he said, if, if fear was not an option, what would you do? Joel, you, you, can, you can think about this, and, but you can't fear it. What would you do? And I'm like, of course, we'd buy the farm. Not afraid at all. God's gonna sell this place, we're gonna buy that place, it's all done. So we did that. Oh my goodness. So the next couple months, we now have to sell our place. Week goes by, I'm remembering God's promise. Couple weeks go by, I'm starting to forget God's promise. But the house sold, like in perfect timing. I still worried, even though God had spoke, do not fear. I still worried, even though I knew he told us to buy this farm. I, I still worried, because that's what we do as humans. We worry. We try to control situations that are really uncontrollable, and we never learn. Our whole lives, we try to control through worry and fear and anxiety situations we have no control over. Now, looking back on that, I actually laugh at all that. It gives me joy to know that God came through. And his testimony is a testimony of joy in our life. My prayer for you is the same. Abraham, again, had a son named Isaac, and now we're gonna look at Isaac as he had faith beyond famine. Genesis chapter 26, verse one to six. Here, I'll just take this. This is funny. This is my little mid-sermon joke for you. Here's my Bible. <laughs> now, there was a famine in the land. Besides the earlier famine of Abraham's time, and Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. So again, previously, Abraham in his life, there was a famine as well. And when there was a famine, Abraham went down to Egypt to get food. And it's, so that's why it's saying, as in Abraham's time, the same thing happens during Isaac's life. But Isaac ends up in a, a place called Gerar. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you and will bless you. 
For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed me and kept my requirements, my commands, my decrees, and my laws. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. Isaac set out for Egypt because that's what his father did. Isaac set out in his heart to go to a place that he could find provision, he could find food, he could find resources. It doesn't say that you know, there was anything wrong with the way Isaac was living, but he thought to himself, if my father Abraham did this when there was a famine, then I'm going to do this when there's a famine. And so Isaac set out in his heart to go to Egypt. But he doesn't end up in Egypt. Because God told him, I want you to stay in the land that I've told you to live in. I want you to stay in this land called Gerar. Egypt is a physical place in the story. Egypt is an actual place filled with storehouses that would often be a resource to Egyptians and foreign nations for food in a time of famine. But in this story, Egypt is much more than a physical place. Egypt represents the easy way out. Egypt represents the place that we want to go to for temporary satisfaction. Egypt represents the place we want to go to that pulls at the desires of our soul. Egypt represents the place that we go to to find peace. But Egypt never gives peace. Egypt always comes with hooks in it to keep us controlled. And God said, I don't want you to go to Egypt. Isaac, I want you to stay in the land that I have given you. I think about this in my own life. I think about this in circumstances that we have, that we go through. We have conflict in a relationship. We'll just ghost our family or our friend. Finances are tight. I'll just cheat a little bit on my taxes. I can't hear God speak. I'll just get really, really hard and say that he doesn't speak. Someone says something painful to me, I just let resentment set in. My spouse and I don't get along, I'll just look for satisfaction outside of my marriage. My past is super painful, I'll just numb it and self-medicate with drugs, alcohol, Netflix, social media. All of these things, these easy ways out, they're Egypt, and they're not the land that God has called us to. Sometimes the most faith-filled thing we can do is stay, is remain, is stay in the land that God has called us to. Are there times when you need to leave? Yes. I'm not saying stay in, in abusive situations. 
Don't stay in toxic relationships. I'm not saying that, but there are seasons when we want to run and we want the easy way out and we're just going to go down to Egypt and we're going to blow off some steam and we're going to spend a few months there. Well, this morning God is saying, I want you to remain in the land that I have called you to live in. It is better to be in the land that God has called us to be in and be in famine than to go and try to satisfy the deep hunger of our soul with temporary desires that never last. Amen. That was a good word. That was, that was good, Joel. That was real. Wow. I'm preaching to myself this morning. That was my rose moment for the morning. It doesn't come over the same, does it? Yeah. Just, I just look like an arrogant young preacher up here with my Jordans. By the way, sidebar, um, I would like for everyone to let us know on Facebook um, whose Jordans are better, um, Pastor Keaton or uh, Pastor Joel. Um, yeah, just come up. We're just going to have a little halftime show. Uh, this is so unplanned, so I hope your laces are tied. But if you would come up, if you would vote on Facebook, uh, Northside's Facebook, and I mean, those are pretty fly. Those look, those are, oh, I like that. Yeah, you got to tuck, see, so you got to tuck them in. But I want you to, maybe a little turn, a little sigh, yeah, a little something. So whose are better? This is totally going to end up on Preachers with Sneakers. Um, anyway, thanks, brother. Thanks for that. Love you. So vote on uh, Facebook. Um, man, I was like in the middle of a point, too. I don't know what happened there. Um, welcome to my brain. Can you imagine living with me? It's amazing. I like it. My wife tells me she likes it, so we're good. I think, though, in our lives, we, if you're visiting, that's, I'm sorry, but I, that's just sometimes what happens. If you're online, I uh, hope you got a coffee on the break there. Um, but we all look, we all look for an easy way out. And that's human nature. We look for an easy way out. But God wants us to live our prophetic word out. He has spoken things into our life and over our life. And sometimes it takes great faith just to stay. Maybe it's a job, school, a friendship. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's a dream. Maybe it's a goal. Maybe it's just contending in prayer for someone or something. And maybe God's just whispering to you right now, and if he is, just, just take it for yourself. Maybe he's saying, just stay a little longer. Just stay in the land that I have called you to live in. It's better than Egypt. Lastly, we look at Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Again, this is generational promises in the midst of barrenness, famine, and fear. Chapter 28, verse 10 to 22. 
Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Does this sound familiar? <laughs> your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? There is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, house of God, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I've set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. It's important to read the whole section of scripture. See, Jacob is on his way again to Haran. He'll work for his uncle Laban for 20 years. Funny story about two wives, Rachel and Leah, you can read it on your own. But he, he's gonna go to Haran to work. He's running though from his brother Esau. He's escaping this relationship because he cheated Esau out of Esau's inheritance with a bowl of soup, stew. And he's running from his brother and he's on his way to Haran and he stops in this place to sleep at night and he takes a rock and he puts it under his head and he goes to sleep and he has a dream and in this dream, what does God do? God begins reminding him of the promises over Abraham and over Isaac and he says the same thing to him and he reminds him of the covenant that God made with Abraham and he says, I will give you land, I will give you descendants, I'll watch over you. This is the land that I have called you to. He's literally running in fear. And as he's running in fear and he's at this in-between place, it's not the beginning, it's not the end. It's not the starting point, it's not the destination. It's the in-between. Do you feel like you're in an in-between season? Do you feel like you're in an in-between season and you just need a nap? 
Well, I pray that over you in this in-between season, that as you lay down to rest with God, just a little while, he'll give you a dream. And he'll begin to remind you of the things that he's doing in your life. And Jacob says, surely God is in this place. This place was just, a, was just dirt with a rock on it, but God transformed this in-between place into Bethel. house of God. Jacob is so impacted by this that he anoints this rock and it becomes a pillar, a symbol. The house of God is here. This is where I met God. Jacob receives what he doesn't deserve. He's running in guilt. He's running in fear. But as a response, God meets him. And then God says this this covenant with God that he says, which is a tithing principle. And my message today is not on tithing or giving to God, but it's important in here to point this out. Jacob says to God, I will give you a tenth of all that you give me. I wanna pull that up for a second. Can we pull up verse 22? Just because it's a good principle. That was quick. Great job. Who's up there? Is that Nate? Yes, sir. Good job, Nate. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Just leave that up there for a second. This is a great tithing principle. Uh, To tithe is to, to give to the church for the work of ministry. At Northside, there are many ministries that we also give to, which is Foursquare Missions. We give a portion of our income to Foursquare Missions. We give a portion of our income to Pacific Life Bible College. We give a portion of our giving to Foursquare Denomination in Canada. We give a portion of our giving to missionaries overseas. We give a portion of our giving to local outreach. So we as a church tithe. This is what some of your tithe money will go to. But look at this principle here. And and the principle that Jacob is saying is, 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 Lord, you've given me everything. And I will return to you a tenth. Many of us get stuck when it comes to giving because we think we're giving to God from what is ours. And the moment we think we are giving to God from what is ours, we've missed the principle of tithing. The principle of tithing is God gives us 100% and we return to him. Maybe it's not 10% to start, 2%, 3%. Maybe it's 30, 40%. But this is the principle of tithing. Jacob says, God, I can't believe you've given all of this to me and I will return to you a tenth. I remember a few years ago, I had this awakening similar to this verse. I hadn't noticed this in this verse before, but in my own life, I remember saying to God, man, God, I'm so grateful that you only asked for a tenth from me. (laughs) God is so good. Anyway. God is reminding Jacob, though, of the Abrahamic covenant he made in Genesis 12. 
I will make you into a great nation, God says to Abraham, and I will bless you. I'll make your name great and you'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. What God said to Abraham, he's committed to in Isaac. He's committed to in Jacob. And guess what? He's committed to in you. When you read the book of Hebrews, you'll understand that we are also Abraham's seed in faith. So what God said to Abraham, what God said to Isaac, what God said to Jacob is for you. Whether you're in a season of barrenness, a season of famine, a season of fear, I believe this morning as we partake in communion, and I'll invite the worship team to come up, that there's an invitation open to all of us to come to the table, to bring Mm -hmm. our barrenness, to bring our famine, our hunger, to bring our fear, whatever that looks like for you, in exchange for the body and blood of Christ, for the presence of God, for the promise of God. The promises of God give pain a purpose. Let's pray and then Pastor Rose is gonna lead us in communion. Father, thank you that we don't deserve these promises, Lord. They're not because we're good people. They're not because we're super educated, wealthy, theological. They're not for us just because we've been a Christian for 40 years or 40 minutes, Lord. These are available because you're a covenant-keeping God. And nothing, Lord, nothing can take that away. I pray for those here this morning that feel that they're in a a place of emptiness, barrenness, famine, or fear. You begin to rest upon them and that they would be encouraged that you're watching over words that you've spoken over our lives to see them performed. because you're a covenant-keeping God. And that covenant, Lord, is generational. So I pray that over each one of us this morning, that you would show us those things that we need to bring to you this morning. And we would exchange them for your promises and your presence, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.